we're going to be beginning. Of course, Pastor Bob is going, uh, taking us through the book of Daniel, which is fantastic, and, um, and he'll continue to do so. When I'm up here once or twice a month, it'll be the Gospel of John, and we'll be working through that at the same time. Um, kids say funny things. <clears throat> it's uh, been some time now, but I remember it's, uh, it never fails. So we have a lot of kids. They're all in the back. And we're driving, and I'm like, why aren't your seatbelts on? Put your seatbelts on. Well, they were on, and then they were off. And then they were on again, and then they were off again. It's like, you got to put on your seatbelts. And I'm telling one of them, I say <clears throat> to one of my daughters, put on your seatbelt. And she said, why? And I said, for safety. And my other kid said, and for chicken nuggets. <laughs> I don't know what they think is going to happen, <laughs> how that's going to. So now that's what we say, buckle up for safety and chicken nuggets. You guys all healthy today? I've heard of strep throat going around. I've heard of uh, some sinus stuff going around. I've heard of stomach stuff going around. Y'all doing all right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yep. Good. <clears throat> Gospel of John. Um, I, I want to say thank you to the worship team today for just bringing us into the presence of God and lifting up the name of Jesus and helping us reflect on who God is, that he's worthy of it all, and, um, and that we could give praise to him, and God inhabits the praises of his people. When people are calling out to him and praising him, he's like, it's like a young kid saying, Dad, Dad. And Dad said, oh yeah, here I am. Here's all of me. God just loves it when we turn our hearts toward him. He's always ready. He's always waiting. He wants to. And a lot of times, all the time, he's pursuing. But how often are we stopping and stop and uh, giving our hearts and our minds to him, giving him the praise that's due his name. So he meets us there. Some of you guys sense his presence this morning. And, and also, I just want to say, God made you. We tell our kids that all the time. God made you. God made you. He loves you, and he likes you today. God likes you. God has a plan for your life. He didn't make you for no reason. God made you because he loves you, and he likes you, and he has a plan and purpose for your life. The greatest part of that purpose is for you to know him, to be known by him. And then he fills you with his spirit and with his calling. And he fills you with the fruit of his spirit, which is love and joy and peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. He does all that through his word, through the Savior, through the Messiah, through Jesus. He forgives sins and he fills people with his Holy Spirit. Today is a great day to jump into the book of John, the Gospel of John. And today we're just going to peek at the first five sentences of the book of John, first five verses of the book of John. And it begins as such. It says, in the beginning, the word already existed. <clears throat> the word was with God and the word was God. Number one, the word of God is Timeless. The word existed before time. 
The word of God existed before time. Whose time? In the beginning. Whose beginning? Our beginning. In the, in the beginning of the world, the earth, of humanity. In the beginning, the word already existed. It was already around. The world is newer than the word. And another note, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never disappear. So when this world is done, all done, the word will still exist, and it will endure forever. 1 John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning, in our beginning, you read about the beginning in Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, the word already existed. I think of it like this. I think of it like this thing. That there's a lot of games that utilize an hourglass, and you put the board game out, and you put the plastic pieces where they go, and then you flip this thing over, and that's how much time these plastic pieces have to get around something, or, or the person has to make a decision to move a piece. And as far as the game is concerned, this is time. This is time. And when time runs out, time is out. But beyond and behind this little thing, there's another dimension. We're still here. The game gets folded up, gets put in the box. We're still here. Time still goes on. Or there's, we exist outside of this timer. And when God created the heavens and the earth, the heavens meaning skies, the skies and the earth, time is an invention of God. He's not contained by time. He contains time. Time is an invention. For us, it's very normal, and it's all we know. This is all we know, is the sun. Okay, there's a day. Okay, there's another day. Okay, there's a day. That's all we know, times and seasons. That's just an invention of God. God exists. In the beginning, the word already existed. Outside of time and space. He's not limited to or constrained by time. He's outside of time. In this earth, there's a starting point. There's an ending point. There's a decaying of things that occurs. There's more to that story. The word was with God, and the word was God. What does that mean? The word was with God, and the word was God. John is stating that God's word and God are inseparable. There's no difference between God's word, what he says, or what his intent is, and his actions. There's no separation. What he says emulates from who he is. 100% integrity. If he says it, it will be, and it will happen in accordance to how he desires it to happen and to be. There's no difference between his word no separation, I should say, between him and his word. Only truth can come from his mouth. He's bound by his word. It's more stable, it's more secure than the earth itself. It's more reliable than the natural laws that govern our system. It's more reliable than gravity, the sun, the seasons. Number two, the word of God is trustworthy. The word cannot be separated from God. 
John 1.1, John's writing, he says, in the beginning was the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. And I, I pause for a second and I think of when we hear someone say, I give you my word. I give you my, well, how good is that word? It depends on who uttered that statement. How good is your word this morning? How good is my word? How reliable is that phrase? It depends who makes that statement to you. People with good intentions make promises, but people with good character keep them. A quote. Numbers 23:19, God is not man, so he does not lie. He's not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken or failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? He is trustworthy. The word of God is trustworthy. How about Isaiah 40, verse 8? It says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. His word is timeless and indestructible and purposeful. And just like the rain or the snow that fall from the sky to earth and they water the ground and they make plants bud and sprout, just like that is Isaiah 55, 11, it says, in the same way with my word. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all that I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. You see how trustworthy God's word is? It's not like us. We have a good intention, but then it doesn't quite happen because different scenarios occur that we were unaware of or we didn't suspect would interfere Psalm 138, verse 2, I bow before your holy temple as I worship, says King David. I praise your name for your unfailing love and faithfulness, for your promises are backed by the honor of your name. You can bank your life upon God's word. And I don't know where else you'd want to bank it. Where do you want to bank it on? You bank it on the worldly wisdom, which says, hey, uh, bloodletting is how you get better from diseases, right? We cut, your, cut you open and try to bleed out the diseases was the common medical expertise of the time a couple decades ago. Decades, a couple centuries ago. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> but, you know, our medical, you know, they do the best they can, medical world, but they don't get it all right. And our philosophers and our experts and our engineers, you know, we try, we, we learn, we step on the shoulders of those who've come before us. Not wholly trustworthy. Not trustworthy. You want to bank your life on your emotions? That's not trustworthy. Emotions and feelings of a person often lead us in the wrong direction. Outbursts, rage, lust, greed. Avoidance of anything hard. Hard work or discipline or perseverance. My emotions say no to all those things. Not trustworthy. Worst advice in all the world? Follow your heart. The Bible says the heart is deceitful among all else. Heart will lead you into a train wreck. No, we are to manage our feelings, filter them, manage them, train them, practice self-control. 
tame your emotional responses and grow your faith by trusting the steadfastness of God more than the inconsistency of your emotions. That was a phrase that came from life-changing prayer. We've been doing that. um, Men's groups and women's groups have been going through life-changing prayer. We talked about that last week. Tame your emotional responses and grow your faith by trusting the steadfastness of God more than the inconsistency of your emotions. That was so good. God's word is a solid foundation. Existed before the world, will exist after this world, does not change like shifting shadows, but remains the same. God's word is trustworthy. John 1, verses 2 and 3 says, He existed in the beginning with God. What? It says, He, what? It's talking about the Word of God. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Now it says, He existed in the beginning with God. Why does John do that? God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. What's going on in those verses? It's on purpose, and that's number three. The word of God is personified. The word of God is Jesus. Jesus. John says that the word of God is Jesus. So the Jewish people, they have all these scriptures. They have the Old Testament, and it really reveals God's holiness, God's standards, which are pure and right and good and above anything that any of us could live up to. We're all really condemned at it when we look at it, understand the law of God. So the Old Testament is showing us how holy and righteous God is and um, and how really we all fall short of his glory. But it's also speaking of a Savior that will come, a Messiah that will come, that will restore humanity, that will offer forgiveness and grace and mercy in some manner and somehow reconcile humanity back to God. And so the written word is giving us light into who God is, who we are, and what we need, and who's coming, and how God's going to act on our behalf. And then all of a sudden, in the New Testament, God's word takes on flesh and dwells among us. The living word of God, Jesus Christ. And John says, he existed in the beginning with God, God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word of God is personified. The word of God is Jesus. There's a word called the incarnation. Incarnation. He took on flesh. He dwelt among us. Invested with bodily nature and form. Embodied in human form. Personified. Incarnate. As we travel through the book of John, we're going to put a lot more Uh, there's going to be a lot more understanding as to what and why and how this happened and what it looks and what it means. Um, But for this, for today, and for this point, Jesus is the word of God. John 1.14 says, So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Jesus was the word of God. And look what Jesus said. In in John 17, 
verses four and five, he says, I brought glory. This was right before Jesus died on the cross. So he had three years of ministry and now he was purposefully going to the cross willingly to die for your sins, to die for my sins, to rise from the dead. So, so there was joy before him, but there was excruciating pain in between there. And so my mind goes to labor and delivery. And I'm thinking Jesus is, he's excited about the newborn. He's excited about all of you being forgiven, me being forgiven and being in heaven with him. But oh, the cost, right? And yet for the joy set before him, he was willing to endure the cross. And he said this right before he went to the cross. Um, it's either the day or the night before he's, he's uh, crucified, taken and crucified, says, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. Jesus, the living word, the word of God who existed before our time and space, who stepped into our world. No wall you won't kick down, no lie you won't tear down coming after me putting on flesh and stepping into our world to die for you, to die for me. God loves you today. Oh, he says, now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I bet he's pretty excited to get out of here. That's tough work, 33 years, and it's going to get tougher in the next couple days, the next day. I'm really excited to get back to where I was before the world began. Now he gets to have all us there with him. He's really excited about that. So long as we receive him, so long as we're not resistant to the grace and love of God. 1 John 1, verses 2 through 3, again, he existed in the beginning. Jesus existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. Number four, the word of God is powerful. <clears throat> the word created the world. In Genesis 1.1, you read that chapter. I don't know if you notice, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then verse 3 says, then God said, let there be light. And that's the first of nine phrases of God saying, let there be, and then he says, space between the firmament and the sky. Let there be plant life. Let there be animal life, so forth. He spoke. It was the word of God that created the world. There's power. There's authority in the word of God. And real quick here, um, I don't know how powerful your word is or isn't. Like when you say something like to your kids to do something, how much authority does that actually carry? And does it work well or not work? How good is your word? So we, we kind of already talked about how trustworthy, how reliable, how credible is it? And God cannot be separated from his word. What he says is what he means. And if he says it, I believe it, right? Next one, how powerful or what degree of authority? There's, um, and then how wise? 
you know, how, how, uh, say how wise, when you provide insight and advice, is it worth anything? What level of discernment do you, does your voice, uh, do you give voice to? So how powerful, what degree of authority? There's a book I've been recommending for years. I still think it's the best one. And I've read so many parenting books, shepherding a child's heart. And, um, chapter four begins this way. It says the boys were out in the shed working on the go-kart. Our daughter went to call them for dinner. You both are to go inside, wash up, and get ready for dinner right now, she announced authoritatively. Are the boys coming in, my wife inquired, when our daughter had returned to the house alone. I called them, she said, with a look that betrayed her attempt to pull a power play on the boys. Why hadn't the boys come in? Because it was their sister who had called them, and they weren't about to obey based on her authority. She returned to the shed with the same message and added two powerful words. Mother said, our daughter did not have the authority to order the boys into the house. The second time she called the boys, she called them as an agent of their mother. They knew it was time to come. Who sets the ocean's boundaries? Who says, thus far and no further? Whose word is powerful enough to have it be so? God says, right there, you're done. Stop at the sand right there. You're done. Moses brings the children of Israel out to the Red Sea, and all of a sudden, the Red Sea parts. Who has that authority? Who can say something for something to happen and it happen like that over nature, over natural law? God does. And just to have fun with everybody, Jesus walked on the water. He says, this stuff here? Oh, yeah, I made that. Watch this. (laughs) I own that. That listens to me, not vice versa. I'm not subject to, to it. It's subject to me. Jesus walked on the water. And then he gets into the boat and he says, "Uh, peace. And the wind stops. And the waves go down. He bosses it around. He orders it around and it listens. His word is powerful. The word of God is powerful. Look at Colossians 1, 15 through 16. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Powerful. Jesus Christ, the word of God is powerful. John 1.4 says, The word gave life to everything that was created. Has your mom or dad ever said, I brought you into this world and I can take you out? It's only partly true. I mean, it was only by God's invented method by which, and his sustaining hand that, you guys get the picture. Life is God's to give. Life does not exist apart from him. Vitality, energy, spirit is from God. Mind, soul, spirit, body is from God. In the Garden of Eden, we quickly forfeited um, 
a lot of this through disobedience. And um, so they disobeyed God. They're cut off. Their spirit is dead, dormant, right off the bat. And and, then right away they start uh, experiencing decay and disease and eventually death physically as well. But all of life that you ever have or ever feel or ever experience is from God. Life is from Jesus. Number five, the word of God is life. Jesus gave life to everything in Genesis. The capacity for life, nutrition, temperature, pressure, gravity, circulation. But more than that, the thing in, so here's a bean plant. That's how that thing grows. God gave life to that bean plant. And that's kind of its cycle right there. And then it replenishes itself. That's cool. He did that with all seed bearing, all plants, plant life. And then here's you and I, physically speaking. You see all those different systems that have to be in place at the same time? They're separate systems. These are all separate systems. And they all have to be, they all have to be there, otherwise you would fail to exist. And Jesus gave you that. And then more than that, he breathed his life, his spirit, into Adam and Eve. Made them unique in their capacity and in their relationship to God. Only God can create something from nothing. It's the only one that can do that. We can use what he made or gave us to create and make more things, which he already had in mind and knew. I was with uh, one of my sons skiing the other day, and I thought, you know, God knew. I mean, he, he, had, he made the world in such a way that we would be able to ski, and he knew that. Someday, it's going to take them a while, but when they figure out how to ski, that's going to be so much fun for them. <laughs> for some of them, for others, it won't be very fun at all. But I say, isn't that cool? I was saying, Zion, isn't that cool? God made, God invented skiing, really. He let us figure it out. But he put everything together in such a way that that could be a reality. And he's waiting for us. There's probably a lot of other things he's waiting for us. Man, when are they going to learn how to, because that's going to be a blast. Are they ever going to learn how to do that? (laughs) We can only create um, from what he's already given us. And we can either partner with him in, in creating or nurturing for good, or we can fight against them and contort or use things for bad. And Satan, Satan can't create anything. He can only corrupt what's already been created. So you think about sex, a great gift of God, and, and, then, and then Satan will corrupt it into immorality, lust, rape, take it out of bounds, out of the parameters for which God uh, gave it to be as a blessing. Resources, you know, greed, extortion, cheating, you can go on and on. Some thoughts there. So the Gospel of John is written um, by John, the Apostle John, that's hardly debated. Um, And he also wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, which are letters uh, that you'll find later on in your Bible. 1st John 1, 1 through 4, he writes this. This is the opening chapter of 1st John. There's a lot of similarities here. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen, We saw him with our own eyes, touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. 
this one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. John is so excited for people to experience the forgiveness of sin, the freedom, the adoption into God's family, the restoration of all humanity. And so he's giving the account of how that happened and how it can happen for people. And he's laying it right out there. And he said, this wasn't some, um, this is something we saw. And we t- we t- this is something that happened in real time, in real space. Our time that was created by Christ, our space that was created by Christ. He stepped down into it. We saw him live in the creation that he created. We saw him die and rise again from the dead. We have sensed and seen the miracles, the signs and wonders. We saw him walk on the water. We saw him touch blind men, deaf ears, and dead people, and raised from the dead. We have had that Holy Spirit come into our hearts and change us from the inside out, starting to give us new desires, giving us new abilities, giving us new strengths. The Spirit of God. 1 John 1, 4, so in him is, is life, and then it says, and his life, Jesus, brought light to everyone. And his life, when the word took on flesh and lived among us, his life brought light to everyone. He brought spiritual light to our dormant spirits. Six, the word of God is light, and light gives sight to us. The word offers me eternal life. Things can only make sense. Uh, I should say, when I'm at home and it's dark, and all of a sudden, um, one of our kids is crying or yelling or something, and I walk into that room and I'm like, oh man, I can't see what's going on. I have no idea what's going on. But light, if I turn on the light and wake up all the other kids in that room, I can make sense of things. I can see why they're crying or not crying. And sometimes I can't see anything. They're just crying for no reason. But light gives sight. Light equals clarity and understanding and comprehension. Light gives hope. In a dark cave, if you're in the middle of a dark cave, and it is blacker than blackest black, and all of a sudden there is light. Someone has a flashlight. There is hope. There is all of a sudden hope. Light equals confidence for us. John 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. John 12, 46, I have come as a light 
to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. I believe Jesus is speaking right now to all of us and in particular, some of us who have not experienced his light. And he is saying, he is knocking on your heart saying, I want to be your savior and your leader. I want to save you from your sins. I want to forgive you, offer you grace and mercy. I want to be your leader from now on. I want to teach you my ways. I want to teach you the ways of God. What my kingdom looks like, I want to lead you into that. It's going to happen little by little. But from now until the day you die, and or Christ comes back, I want to be your savior. I want to be your light. And I invite you to say yes to Jesus right where you're at. Say, yeah, yeah, I think you're my best bet in life. I'm putting all my eggs in your basket, Jesus. What you say goes, I'm following you. I'm living for you. You be my coach and my leader the rest of my life. And Jesus says, he makes a promise. He says, if you do that, I will give you my Holy Spirit. I'll seal you with my Holy Spirit. You will have eternal life. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And from that day on, that's what happens. And many of us here can testify to that. That we, we still have a carnal nature. I mean, I can still react in the flesh and yell when I shouldn't yell at my kids and stuff. But I have another, I have another operating system in me, and it's the Spirit of Christ. And when I do that, then you'll say, Travis, that wasn't the right thing. And I need to go back to apologize. But having a different operating system from now until the day you die is a powerful thing. And that other operating system will outlive this operating system. This operating system is getting older and wrinkler, wrinklier, slower, slower. But that operating system is being renewed day by day because its source is Jesus Christ. John 1 verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Seven, the word of God is undefeated. So it always rings in my head from my earlier years of watching some boxing matches or, or WWF or something like that. When I was a kid, it says, the undefeated, undisputed, and a whole bunch of other unthings. <laughs> Unanimous something, and then heavyweight champion of the world. That's Jesus Christ. Is the light of the world undefeated. So whether you're on board or not, the light exists after this world's gone and after this body's in the grave. Have you ever seen a battle between light and darkness? You guys ever watched one of those? Where you have a dark room, and it's as dark as dark can get, right? So it has the advantage, because it's already kind of it's first in the room, right? The dark. So it's dark. It's got the advantage, all right? You only have to, darkness, you have this whole room that you're owning right now. You have to quench a little flicker of flame. 
Okay, you have to keep this little flicker of flame from bringing light into the room, all right? Who's gonna win this battle? It's a big battle, all this darkness and this little flame. Ready? Go, and you, and you light the match. It's no contest. All of a sudden there's light in the room because light wins every single time. Light wins. Light wins against darkness. The light of God will either purify or consume a person. People will hide from the light or they'll come into the light. They will hide from the light or they will come to the light. Look at this verse, John 3, 19 through 21. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light. Talking about a majority of people. Actually, in that point, it's talking about um, the Jewish nation at the time, the majority rejected. People love darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light. And so many Jews, like John the Apostle that we're reading today, came to the light. And we have that opportunity as well. So this is what we all go through is one of my kids, uh, you know, if they mess up, they can come and be honest to me or they can try to hide, right? Hide their sin. Um, and if they come to me, there's forgiveness to be had. There may be consequences that are legit because we're training them and we're teaching them. But um, this fact of us coming to God and saying, I am a sinner, I recognize it. And instead of denying it or instead of justifying it, I'm going to admit it. That's a big deal. That's coming into the light. That's what coming into the light is. Instead of saying, I've never sinned. I'm okay. I'm better than she or he or him. I see Adolf. He's way worse than me. Adolf Hitler, I'm way better than him. And we compare ourselves to somebody that's worse. Or we justify, it's because he did this to me or she did that to me or my parents did this to me when I was small or I was treated in this manner, that's why I did this, so we have reasons for why we act the way we do. No, we, we own our evil, we own our wickedness, and we say, nah, you're the light of the world. Lord, I come to you as I am, and I take on your um, invitation to put my faith in you and receive your forgiveness Maybe your life has consisted of evil actions and hiding, but you can do the right thing today. You can respond to the light of Jesus unto eternal life. Look at Hebrews 4.12. It says, the word of God is living and active. It's living and active. It's Old Testament scripture. It's New Testament scripture. It's Jesus Christ in the flesh. And it's also his spirit at work even right now in this room, in many of our lives maybe knocking on your heart's door. The word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. It judges between the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. What is God speaking to you today? Those songs this morning that we started off with were so good. And they're going to play one again as we close in prayer. But um, John starts, these are just five verses. 
Five verses, and he establishes a lot about the Word of God in five verses. And we're just getting going. He's about to walk us through just a very small amount of things that Jesus said and did. And at the end of his book, he says, if I was to write to you guys of everything Jesus said, the volumes of books that could be written would be innumerous. You couldn't count them. What he taught and what he did and how he... But what I'm writing, I wrote to you so that you can believe. You can believe. What's God saying to you today? Lord, I thank you for using John and putting your spirit in him to pen this for us. And I thank you, Spirit of God, for making these words alive to us, even as we sit here, more than text on a page, Lord, but your Holy Spirit confirming, testifying of righteousness, warning of judgment. Lord, you're not willing that people be separated from you forever. You're not willing, you're not desiring of people to be condemned, of people to be thrown into the lake of fire and consumed. No, your desire is to forgive and give mercy and to adopt. And Jesus, that was your desire in coming and going to the cross that you might put your spirit in us and we might be saved. We might live for something noble and purposeful. Thank you for your word, Lord. It is powerful, man. It can be stood upon. Lord, it defends itself. It speaks for itself. There is no other ground. All other ground is sinking sand. Your word is a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. We thank you, Lord. And now we respond to you, Lord. We respond to you with our hearts, Lord. Not just lip service, Lord, but... We lift up our hearts to you and we put our trust in you and our confidence in you. Will you fill us, Lord, right now as we sing and as we stand, will you stand with me? In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen.